excuse me, we had one unsubscriber this week on YouTube. <laughs> Unsubscribe? Why? <laughs> yeah, I have like, all right. So, hey everyone, uh, I have a list of milestones we, and, and, uh, and uh, we're going to go through them. But the first milestone is that we had our first unsubscriber on YouTube. Yet, and I love that. Yeah, it's pretty significant. But you know what? Uh, we had like a billion people sign up for the the newsletter. So I'm really thankful for that. So let me first dive into our topics and then we'll go into each topic. Yep. So first, we're going to talk about milestones in this episode, uh, kind of building in public, you know, spirit of building in public. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some of our struggles building in public. And then we're going to talk a little bit about life of being in a startup because I, that's what I do. And I think it's really, really exciting and something more designers might want to listen to because they might be interested in trying to do it or being a part of one. Um, and, you know, you have the perspective right now, Pascal, of being in an enterprise. And I, you know, again, we work together in an enterprise and, and whatnot. I am not going to say one is better than the other anymore because I think that it's now or definitely, not that I think now, I think I've always thought this, but now it's definitely a time for a lot of people to build and build back. Uh, mm -hmm. So we'll go into that in, in a little bit, but I want to first run down some of our milestones. And the first one is we lost one subscriber on, on YouTube. We so need to get them along the sayonara. We don't need to get them back. They're, they're not worth it. We'll it's get okay. more. We'll get more. But I wanted to also congratulate you and I, because for our listeners who don't know, this is episode 22, I believe. And what that means is we have passed the threshold of the top 1% of podcasts because the top 1% of podcasts actually only reached episode 21. We so made it. congratulations. And, and the thing um, is, like we still have a lot of guests yeah. that are coming up and a lot. the list is still far uh, from being complete. So I think the we still have a long ways to go. But we can at least celebrate, right? Like we did it. We, we made it past episode 21. I'm happy with that. And at the end of the day, we're... We're still learning. We're still growing. I think everything, every episode is getting better. Uh, we got like good guests coming on still. So I think it's just, let's keep going. Uh, like we're getting good feedback from the audience. Uh, people are like commenting on it. People are sharing the pod. So I think it's it's just a matter of of going and getting better at it and, and creating stronger content as we keep moving forward. Damn right. But guess what? We're in top 1%, baby. Continuing the milestones, we hit 300 plus subscribers on Substack, and we're almost like halfway to 400. I know that's isn't that's that awesome? Amazing. I mean, we haven't we didn't start that long ago. Like in my opinion, we didn't start like two years ago. We already have at this point. I think the writing is getting stronger. I think the you know we're we're finding the way to write. I mean, it's one thing to write a blog post and it's another to write a newsletter that has the hook, that has like all the foundational things that people are looking for. So there is that learning curve as people have probably seen, like we've adjusted the way we write as we move forward. So I think it's, there's a learning curve there on us, yeah. on me, on you. So I think that's just the thing about building in public. You're learning as you're building, you're getting feedback. So you're adjusting, you're reacting, you're pivoting, you're, you're, you know, you're, observing what the greats are doing and you're trying to imitate and replicate you're doing it in your own voice in your own style this comes with the territory but i'm happy i think we're producing good content i think it's it's getting more refined as we go it's getting stronger and more to the point more succinct 
And I think it's just about, you know, recognizing that we're learning as we're going and being okay with that. Because I think the biggest critiques of what we do is ourselves. And I'm tough on myself. Like, I'm like, this is shit. Like, it's not captaining. I'm not, you know, I didn't get the hook correct or whatnot. But I think it's, we're our biggest critiques at the end of the day. And for people to, to be along the ride with us and being in and like growing like this, I mean, I'm having fun. I think this is, this is what we want. We want to educate and give back to the community in any way, shape or form. So let's make it the five. And then after we are at 500, next goal is like a thousand. Hell yeah, dude. And you know, we have great people if you're commenting on the YouTube now, you know, um, yep. people saying that this was super helpful, uh, super knowledgeable. Yep. Uh, th- 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 this was awesome. Um, you know, really love this episode. Great content, great guest, And this is awesome to hear. And we really appreciate everyone listening and tuning in. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts for helping us support, supporting us on this mission to help. And I want to say, you. like, <laughs> in terms of thanks, I mean, there's like that one guy that keeps retweeting, resharing everything. Like, Will, thank you, Will. Thanks for being Let's like, go, super- Will. Let's go, Will. Thanks for being that super fan that kind of reshares everything we're doing. We love you, Will. Thanks we have for- a lot of super fans. We have a lot know, of friends that are super fans. But like, just those that we don't know, because yeah. like, he keeps resharing, retweeting. Good. And, awesome. And I like that because I feel he sees value in what we're doing. So he's trying to share to the others and trying to get our name out there. So kudos to Will and the others that are liking and following us at the same time. And I hope that also is an indicator that we're doing something right and that we're actually helping people and, and continuing our general mission of getting designers to become better designers, right? Yes. Those who are new into the industry, those who are up and coming, and even those who are advanced, there's always something yeah. you can learn. And the conversations and stories that we have uh, on the pod, I think that a lot of these lessons that you can learn from them, you can apply to not just design, but for the designers out there, these are what we think are really valuable for you. So we hope that you do find them valuable. We hope that you do find that you can actually implement them for your day to day and hopefully become a better designer. And uh, that's kind of what we're aiming for. So thank you again for everyone on that. Um, okay, so that's all the milestones I have to share. And maybe I guess we have like almost like 100. Well, I think we're close to 100, a little over the now, now on the Framer uh, everythingframer.com website. That's cool. So I mean, that's pretty let's cool. Be honest, I mean, this is growing. I think touching back on what you and I were talking offline, a lot of people are gunning for Framer right now. And I think like it's the new hot toy in the industry. Everybody's trying to get there first and get like the biggest template sites, the sites, the, you know, the how to's, the videos, tutorials and whatnot. And I think it's interesting to be in that game and play with yep. this. I mean, we're not, I think, you can agree or disagree, but I think we're not trying to be number one. Our mindset is bring the most valuable thing we can based on our years of experience working and designing at scale. We kind of understand, like it's one thing to bring in like flashy animations that people can come in. I mean, that that's going to be cool in your site for six months, but in six months, like it, 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 there's a difference between that cool thing and that valuable thing. And I think we're trying to approach it from what value does it bring to you and your end users that you're going to be designing for? And I think that that's yeah. where, that's where, that's how I kind of see what we're doing. We're trying to, we're not going to probably be the most flashiest thing out there. We're probably not going to be the coolest, but we're going to be the one that is going to help you get that foundation, right? We're going to help you yeah. get 
whatever you want to build that crazy site, we're going to be the foundation for you to help you get that. So I think it's like, we're not the shiny toy, but we're the foundation and you need to build a house. You need to start with the foundation. So I think that's where we're coming in. And like, what are your thoughts on like that foundation analogy? Or is that the word analogy? Yeah. You know what you mean? Yeah. Like the house analogy where you're building the foundation and then you can structure other things on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's correct. I think that there's, this goes into our second topic of struggling, right? We struggle to find time to do all these things. And I think that there's also this mental health component to it where you see on Twitter, everyone else that's in our space and Framer, you know, we were kind of like the one of the first ones to kind of really jump in and kind of start promoting Framer uh, amongst a few others. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then it really hit. And then all the people were like, wait a second, you can do this. And then people are making templates and they're making components that you can, they, 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 you know, you can, you can copy and paste into your own projects. And that's great. Like, amazing. We love this community. Everyone's awesome. But part of it is also like, you see someone else do something and you're like, you're seeing them be so successful at it. And you're like, well, we have the skills. Why aren't we doing this? And yeah, the because we don't real. have time. The FOMO and is real. The FOMO is real. And we will want to be able to do a lot of this stuff. But yeah. facts are facts. You know, we don't have the same amount of time that some of these other, I don't want to say kids because they're not necessarily kids, but some of these other people have where maybe they don't have a full-time job. Maybe they don't uh, have a job that's necessarily as stringent or like as focused, right? You know, you and I both have full-time jobs and it's pretty intense, I would say, to, to be honest. Um, you know, we're, we're going back and forth with a lot of a lot of folks. And so that takes a lot of our time. And then we have families. And then we have ourselves. So where do we fit all these other side projects and stuff in, in that time? Like, how do we re reorganize that? And at the same time, see other people succeed at that. It makes you kind of feel like when you self-reflect, that you're not doing enough or you're doing something wrong. Yes. And I don't think we're doing anything wrong. I think that there's things that we can improve on for our own processes, but I don't think we're doing anything wrong because we don't really know what's right. Like there's not really a right answer per se, except the the metric of did or the KPI of did we hit this number of subscribers? Did we make this much revenue? Da, 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 da. Those are measurable. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're doing the right thing either. That means that you're making money or you're making people click. Uh, and maybe that's the goal, but our goal is to be more valuable to people and actually help them. So, yeah. you know, I don't think that we're going to be able to compete with anyone who's trying to build the biggest and, and most badass component library for Framer or Figma. You know, kudos to you for doing that. But I know for a fact, no one, and I mean this, no one can come close to the amount of guidance that is as well tested and vetted as you and I can produce. That is fact. At least not in, in this space, right? I'm sure other people are very good at design guidance. Like I'm not saying we're the best, but we are putting so much effort into that part and everyone else is investing in build this component and then you can copy and paste it and then you, you can use it in your project and you can build something faster. The, the whole idea isn't necessarily building things faster because you can build things faster and get to market faster, fine. Are you building it well? Is it really cool looking? Like, is, is it good? Is it actually resonating? Are you thinking about your users? Uh, you know, eventually other tools are going to come up and they're going to need guidance too. This transcends Framer as yeah. just a tool. This 100%. guidance is applies to everything. So our stuff will last forever. 
many of these other tools might just die out and you're left with the component library. It's like, okay, we can switch the, 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 the CMS to another tool. We can build like a real JavaScript powered, you know, website, right? Like not like a, a big deal to us. Yeah. You know, we don't have to choose one versus the other right now, but our guidance, the content will never change. It'll update, but it'll never change because it built principles that you were saying before are foundational and they help you build everything else. Yeah, I agree. And I think going back to the FOMO, I mean, the FOMO is real. I'm not going to lie. Like we're building this and I see people coming up with templates and designs. I'm like, man, I have so many ideas. I just want to go and design and help the industry out or, you know, create templates. I don't have time. Like I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm working on this because like this is important. And if you go back, like we've listened to a lot of like the very successful solopreneurs like Matt Gray, Justin Welsh, and like all the ones that are have a huge following in that are very smart in the way they do. It's like, even if you just put one hour a day at what you like at, at your goal, you're going to get to where you want to go. Put blinders on. Don't look at anybody. Just aim for your goal. Yeah. It's way easier said than done. Like it's one thing that I know where I'm going, but at the same time, I see everybody doing these things on Twitter and following. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I want to do that. I have an idea. I want to go and design. Mm -hmm. I don't have times. Like sometimes I'm like, I don't even have time to record a podcast sometimes, but I'm mm -hmm. putting it because I know that's our goal. I know our, what our mission is and I know the value we can bring to the industry. And it's, I think there's, we have so much to share in the short amount of time we're trying to get to it. But I think having that vision on the mindset or that end post is what we have to stick to. I mean, that's what we're gunning for. We need to leave the blinders on because we keep, being distracted by this flashy yeah. new framer site that somebody came out, which is good. And and so yeah. we want to be doing the same, like even my portfolio, like I started creating it in framer. I don't have time to go and finish it. Now I'm yeah. going to finish it. Like the, the layout's all done, but I have to go and write the content on it now. And like content is important. I just want to slap shiny images on there and animate it because it's more to that. So I think there's a lot of that, of building in public where, People are scared and they react and they FOMO and they adjust and they pivot. And if lesson learned so far is, you know, stick to your goal. Don't like you can pivot and adjust based on what you're learning. If your niche is not correct as you own in on your craft, but stick mm -hmm. to what you want to do. I like I, I want to go and create, you know, templates, guidelines, things that we can go and sell on Lemon Squeezy or Gumrod. I have all the list of things that we need to go and design and sell. It's just the time to go and build it and design it that's missing. Yeah. But the ideas are there. It's almost like if I had somebody that I can tell what I need and just go and do it and give it back to me in two minutes so I can go and paste it in and lemon squeezy. I mean, that'd be fantastic. I mean, hey, you know, there's an opportunity for that. But I agree with you. There's, you know, there's this fear of missing out because everyone seems to be succeeding. And it's like, why are we not just doing that? Why are we doing this instead? But I think in the long run, this could be more successful. Um, maybe not m monetarily from this being the artifact mm -hmm. that gets sold, but it can be reproduced, repackaged, and um, it can be shared in a different way that could lead to more and more opportunities. And we have a lot of ideas in the works still. Yep. So I think that this is just the beginning. So I, I'm very faithful in that. But yep. uh, yeah, it's hard to find the balance. We're finding it. And for those who are listening, thank you for yeah. helping support us find that balance. But uh, yeah, 
Um, okay, so that covers the milestones and some struggles. Do you have any more struggles you want to talk about or is, is that the last bit of it? No, I just want to say kudos to everybody that's building in public and that's doing it because it's not easy. I mm -hmm. mean, some have been nope. really good at launching something, getting money off the bat right away and they've made like 2,000 in their first two weeks and they're just riffing off of it. Bravo to them. Mm -hmm. Like they put the effort in and they've done it. Congratulations on, on getting it done. I mean, I'm... I'm, my FOMO's there and I'm envious of, of them in, in that way, but I'm sticking to my goal of building the foundational thing that we want because I think it's what it's what we need. Like the industry is going to need this at some point and it's going to yeah. need some of the foundational stuff and all the other ideas that we have related to this. So stick into the goal. And once we build the foundation, we can reuse this to build templates. Mm -hmm. So like it actually benefits us that we have mm -hmm. like a consistent thing going that can then be reused mm -hmm. to build more templates that are useful and actually actually have accessibility guidelines built into it actually have all these other uh things that we have in the works coming yeah. into it so i don't want to spoil that a little bit but um yeah so yeah cool good 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 on everyone doing building in public no, but i gotta give kudos <laughs> kudos is due. i mean it's like yeah are, i mean i mean it's and some are busy as, as busy as we are but they have like they're carving out time to build out templates and building out stuff so i mean kudos to everybody that's contributing to the you know the creative market uh in whatever shape or form i mean it's not easy because a lot of these things are going above and beyond our day jobs and our families and stuff so kudos to the creators out there hell yeah okay cool so our main topic of this episode life in a startup you know in our careers i started off in the startup world ended up you know doing big companies or and then enterprise and back big companies etc you went the opposite. So I think it's interesting in the way, and we've been talking a lot about it. And like, how, what's the life in, and what's a day in the life of a startup? Wait, I don't understand why you keep saying I went the opposite. We both started in startups. No, but I mean, like, what I mean Majority by that is- Majority of my career was in enterprise and, and startups that are focused on enterprises. But like, I, I've been a part of several startups before right. I went to IBM. Okay. I, I kind of see you as like, you, your, your first job is IBM. That's how. I... That's not true though. It's not true. I've had so many jobs before IBM. I've helped companies exit for a lot of money. Um, but I've, I've had startup experience beforehand, but I'm currently working for a startup now and I probably will end up going full time for a startup. And I think that it'd be cool if we talked a little bit about the life in a startup mm -hmm. and what it's really like day to day, uh, because I'm, and we can do this as like a series too, because I'm going to be joining a startup eventually. And I can't say when, I can't say which one, but you start out on the ground zero, like ground, like ground floor, and you work your way to build the company up into a, a startup into a company, really. And I'm excited about that because very few opportunities allow you to come into a company from the first floor. And even before the floor was even built, usually you come into a company and you have to go to another floor. This is a big metaphor. I should get out of this metaphor, but usually you enter a company. I like that. I like it. And it already is existing. It. It's already made. Well, well, I want to make sure that the people are following along. I'm not just <laughs> talking about building because like, I'm not an architect, but it's cool because you can have the opportunity to shape what that startup turns into. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of opportunities right now on the table for me to 
join a startup that allows me to do that. And I would like to take a little bit of time to answer questions that you have about that kind of life, compare and contrast to our enterprise experience, your enterprise experience, and kind of answer questions that might keep people from wanting to join startups. Because right now, the economy is collapsing. Uh, when I was leaving IBM, everyone was like, you're crazy for going to a startup. You're crazy. How, do you, how are you doing this? What about job security? What about your 401k? What about all this stuff? It's like, yes, there are significant risks and you should do whatever is financially suitable for your situation. We're not financial experts here. The biggest thing in startups that people are familiar with is the idea of owning part of the company. And when that company exits or gets bought or goes public or whatever it is, you make a lot of money. That's kind of what a lot of people first think of when they think of startups, right? Yes, but I, not everybody's going to be like the Shopify where you kind of came in and then after a year or two, you're like millionaires because you were like, not everybody turns out to be, but you know, the, the Cinderella story, I think some get into startups and you get money out of it, but you don't turn into like a multimillionaire because the company exit. I think it like, it varies. I think I want to like, some of the questions I have are a lot of people I talk to have difficulties after they've worked in the industry for a while, they see as going and working for a startup as a step backwards where they go back and because let's face it, like you're often designer one of the company. So you end up designing a bunch of stuff. You end up wearing numerous hats. Why do in your perception or even your like how you've approached it, why do so many see this as a step backwards? That's an interesting question because I I didn't quite understand it when you were asking me. Before I answer that, I want to get back to just a point you made before. Like I wasn't saying that people always make money in startups. Mm. I'm saying that the perception that people yeah. have of startups is that they exit for a lot of money because you are a startup and startup is in tech and tech typically and tech is hot, right? And 100%. then it has a lot of money and VCs flowing into it and now they're flowing out of it right now, whatever. Um, but to your question, um, I think a lot of people are more tied to the title than they are to the work. People have a perception that startups, I guess, have different roles, different titles. And if you're not in charge of a bunch of people, you are going backwards in your career. And I don't quite understand that because there's no one linear path. Like there's people who like to climb the traditional ladder, which is like you start out as like an intern and then you go into a junior designer and then you go into a senior role, then you become eventually a staff and then you go from there to a principal and then there to a, to a I don't know, a D-level executive, a C-level executive, CEO, whatever. And so there's like this ladder that people love to refer to and big enterprises are very much about this because mm -hmm. how else are they going to retain talent and keep them interested in being there if they don't give them money, they have to give them something else. And we talk, you talked about this with Kate on the last couple podcasts ago yep. where titles are really given out to people and make them feel good, right? As opposed to actually giving them more responsibilities. Like typically there is responsibility that tied to it, but there's so many like types of roles. It's like, all right, just do the work, right? Like who cares who's the head of what? Like they're not better than you. Um, they might have more Man. experience and they might be able to ship 
and be a steward of a company that's very large. But when you're in a startup and you're very in a small situation, there's like three people, one startup that I'm working for, that I'm contracting for, uh, it's just three of us. You know, the, the two co-founders, one, one's like the CEO, one's like the CTO uh, or like an engineer. And then there's me, the designer. And so I'm like heading up all design, which is kind of cool uh, because like, hey, we need, like you said before, uh, before the podcast, we're talking about like what kind of hats that somebody needs to wear. Um, yeah, you can be the person who's designing the app, the, the logo or the banner, you know, all three of those, you know, becomes your responsibility as the yep. solo designer. So, yeah, I'm, I've been doing that. And there's a degree of it where it's like so rudimentary. It's like, damn. Like, could this be a step back in your career? And the reason why I say no is because it's not about the day-to-day -day work. It's about the result, the, the value that you're providing. So if you're going to say to a, like a nonprofit, you're a VP of design, but you can't design them a logo and you're a traditional designer or whatever, and you've already been doing that the whole life and you've like stopped doing it a long time ago, you know, you're just out of, uh, you're out of your skills because you just haven't done it. You're, you're rusty. But that doesn't mean that you're below that. You can choose what work you choose to do. If you don't want to be doing tactical stuff like on the computer and like actually building interfaces or building, you know, moving pixels around, you know, rectangles, then that's fine. You can be more managerial and go up that ladder. There's no problem there. But if you're going to a startup, you have to understand that you're not there to be in charge of people, right? A startup exists to to find, first of all, market and then provide value, right, for the customers that find find it valuable. Uh, that sounds pretty stupid, but the point I'm trying to make is that you have to be there for a specific reason, mm -hmm. not because you're trying to manage the existing thing. Like, once you get to a certain size, you're going to have to help manage. Like, there's like, I was thinking about this last night. There's two parts to the work that you do at startups. There's two there's two types of work that you do at startups. There's the, what I was saying before, market fit, trying to test the idea to validate it. And then there's the support system, which is actually helping to manage and support the existing organism that's been evolving, right? So you have like design systems, which you know you, you and I are very familiar with, but those are at big companies where they're more mature and they need something to hold everything together, that's a support system. That's support work, right? That's not necessarily coming up with something new that is going to innovate the industry. Like, okay, you've made these buttons consistent, but like, is that, that's helping the company for sure, and it's helping the, the users for sure, yeah. but that's not helping to create new value. Whereas at a startup, that's not the most important thing, Right? And we discussed this before, and I think with Treg, uh, about designing for accessibility from the beginning. I think that it's really important to do as much as you can to design for accessibility because then it just means that you have more opportunity for other people who are not like you to be able to use your product. However, I don't think it's necessarily the most important thing when you're starting a startup because you have a bigger problem. If you have no money, you can't help people use your product because they're colorblind, Right. I think it's easy to add colorblindness into it because it just you just choose the right color palette. But you know, at, at the end of the day, there's priorities. At a startup, you can't be worrying about every single thing. You can worry about as much as you can, 
as much as you yeah. want to, really. So you can't worry about too much because you have other priorities at play, like trying to make money, trying to make sure that this thing is so viable. Somebody who can use it wants to use it. And it's not just about, like, can they use it because it's functional or more usable or more, the user experience is great. It's can they use it and want to use it no matter the experience? Because if it's that valuable, then you really have something special. If it's kind of like, yeah, it's a slightly better interface, that just means that you're competing on interfaces and the, the, the moat of trying to actually create value for somebody that no one else can do is so uh, risky for you. So, yeah. so like that's what we, I would say I, a little bit. If we unpack a bit of this, I think one thing that we spoke about when we had like Joel on the pod, like Joel went from like a director going back to the individual contributor and so on. I think, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of ego part to it in yeah. why people don't go and work for a startup. Because it means, you know, when you reach staff or senior, depending on which company you work for, like mm-hmm. senior and above, oftentimes you don't design as much as you used to because you're yeah. stuck in meetings, you're doing other things. I think for some, they see going back in startup world where they have to spend a lot of times moving pixels around or creating because you wear many hats. Like you're going to do marketing stuff, you're going to do design stuff, you're going to do product stuff, you're going to you know, set the future vision of the product. I think a lot of people, their ego is that, you know, stopping them from doing this. It's It doesn't necessarily mean they can't or don't want to, but it, my assumption, it, it, there's there's that part that kind of stops them because they see as going back to pixel pushing as a step backwards on their resume moving forward. And I think we shouldn't see it this way. I think the economy, as you pointed out, the economy is slowly shifted into creator mode, which means there's going to be a lot of startups out there. There's going to be a lot of people reinventing the wheel. And I think to your point, and you, I'll, I'll, I'll make an assumption. You, you can correct me here. I think for you to join a startup, you need to really stand behind the mission and the vision of that startup. You need, you, you need to stand behind the mission, the mission and the vision of the startup compared to working for like a company like Instagram. A lot of people will go to work for him, not bashing Instagram for any, but I mean, a lot of people are going to join these big companies because it looks cool, right? Not because they stand behind the vision and the the mission of the company. I think that's the difference in a startup. Like if I were to go back to a startup, I want to stand behind the mission because I want to be, I want to believe it so much that I feel like it's my own company, even because I have a, a lot of stake in the company because as you said, you got, you get equity and whatnot. I need to stand behind it if I'm going to roll up my sleeve and do this, like this type of work, like, is that, is that like, what are your thoughts on like that part of working in startups? So I don't think you need to do anything. Um, I think that everyone has their own like situation where financially, emotionally, they're more tied to things than others. Some people are really interested in uh, like, climate change and they join climate change startups and that's fine i think sometimes people they want to join startups because there's a high reward for mm-hmm. a high risk investing yep. your time which is not really that much of a risk right just your time you could be doing other things but eventually you can just switch off and do something else mm-hmm. but you know you have a, a high reward if you do if it does succeed and you are 
a pretty early employee or at least mid-level early employee, you know, there's also the, the opportunity to learn and grow at like grow your career from, you know, not being part of a nine to five, you can join a culture that's different. That is more, more your style. So there's a lot of things that come into it as to what you should look for when joining a startup. I'm not going to tell people what you should. I'm, I think that there are things you could look for. And those are the things that I, I would I would pay attention to. Oftentimes, startups don't have necessarily a clear mission. They don't have a clear vision because they don't even know what they are yet. I know specifically three startups of friends are all telling me they are now some of their early employee. They were brought in. And they're telling me that their startups are trying to pivot and they, they're trying to help them pivot. So they didn't join because they, they love the mission like or the vision of it because they don't even know what the vision is. Like there's really, I think the thing you, okay, let me tell you actually, there's two things you probably should look for. But one of the things you should look for, and this this should be a, a, a requirement of you, of you if you're going to be joining a startup, it's look for good people to work with people that you resonate with and you determine what good is to you. I'm not going to tell you what my morals are for you, but you can determine that. And I think that is the thing you should look for when joining a startup, regardless of the mission and the vision, because it's a startup. They have no mission and vision yet. They're pivoting (laughs) every day. (laughs) There's not really something you can say concretely. Oh my God, this is what we're going to believe in and whatever. Some of them have that opportunity. And God bless them. That's awesome. I hope that those who don't have that can find that earlier than later because it makes it easier for you in other aspects of trying to make decisions. But if you're going to say that you're going to join a company because of the vision and, and mission, that's cool. Like, I have no problem with that. But you should also be concerned with the people you're working with. You should also be concerned about, obviously, the finances of that situation. You should be concerned about all these other things. But those aren't the things that you need to necessarily pivot on your decision making as to what startup you want to join or should you join a startup or not. Um, it's up to you to, to kind of decide those things. And so I think that is it is important to have a vision and mission of a com- in a company. I get those things confused, to be honest. Um, I think that they're really honestly just two separate things to saying the same thing, just one's more specific than the other, which I think is ridiculous. But I think there's just a lot of factors that go into it and people step away from that because they get overwhelmed with all that risk taking. It's like, all right, I'm joining another company, which is a risk. I'm joining uh, another group of people that might, you know, if, if I have problems with, I can't escape, right? I have to stick with it and I have to make it work. So people are very bad at kind of diffusing uh, communication that breaks mm-hmm. down. They're very bad at handling that. And a lot of the times, they kind of go off in their corner at a big company because they can, they can walk away and they don't have to talk to anyone, but then a small company, you don't have a choice. You have to, you have to make it work. Sometimes, uh, people are afraid of their, of getting their opinions shot down or getting critiqued. And at a small company, you don't have the, you, there's no affordability of you wasting people's time trying to hide your ego, right? You, if you're trying to prevent yourself from being critiqued and you're, trying to say that you're the best of the best and that nothing you say is wrong and, and everything you do is perfect. And then if you get critiqued just a little bit, you're like the rest of your day is thrown off. You know, 
that that means you're not meant for startups. Maybe you should join a startup to learn how to handle that stuff, but enterprises don't really teach you that as much because there are, there's always someone saying like, oh yeah, but I really liked your work. I really appreciate it. Like at a startup, there is zero tolerance because if you don't do it right, if you don't do it right according to are they going to make market fit or not, then the startup fails. So everyone has to be more honest and you have to let go of your ego. You just can't have an ego anymore. I agree. I think. And I'm sorry. That was a very long rant. No, no, that's okay. And I agree. And well, I agree and, and disagree to some point. I mean, to me, if well, I'm going to join. Just, first, 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 what do you, what first, wait, first, what do you disagree with? To me, it's like, if I'm joining a startup, I want to join because I stand behind what they stand for. So it's like, I, as an example, like the last startup I worked on where they wanted to disrupt and create the best OTT platform services in the world. It was a big, what is this coming from like little town in, in Ottawa, Canada, but that was what they wanted, you know, and they succeeded. What, what, what is the, OTT? Over the top services. So basically like Netflix, Hulu, okay. like th those, those things, they wanted to build a platform okay. that were kind of scale against, and that's what they wanted. And you know, so to me, like if let's say I, I, I was going to stand behind like another one, let's say they want to disrupt the financial market. Let's, let's say crypto or, or like whatever. I'd want to stand behind what they're doing. Like I know they're going to pivot. I know they're going to change, react and whatnot. But I think they, they always have something that's fine, like foundationally there all the time. And I think you need to stand in that. Yeah. I know they're like to your point, they're pivoting, but I think you need to be able to stand behind that. In the long run, so that that that's like what I disagree with, and to some to some extent. Okay, let me let me respond to that. I think that that's fine. Like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. What I am saying though is that not every startup has that uh, that that leisure of already having that figured out because most startups don't know what they are. Uh, if you're a startup and you're not making a lot of money, or you're trying to figure that out, and you're comparing that to a company that is like making hundreds of millions of dollars or even a startup that's making hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, I think those are different situations because when you start making money, then you can develop those things. When you have no money, you don't really know what is the thing. And you can have a, a mission and vision behind that, sure, but it'll probably change and you have to be comfortable with, with being uncomfortable. And I think that having a mission and vision is something very attractive to people who want to be a part of believing in something. That's something that I think people tell themselves and uh, founders tell their, their, their you know, employees to help rally them because storytelling is the best form of communication and moving. It just is. And having that mission and vision is, that, is part of that story. And so if you don't have that forever, if you don't have a mission and vision, your company is probably going to fail at all. You know, it's probably going to fail anyways because there's nothing tying anything together. It's just about the money. But you have to have something going. You have to have, a, I, I guess, a dream that drives to make a mission and vision, that drives to make market fit that actually, or find market fit that actually allows you to have those things. So no, but yeah. I mean, it, like, let's say not a mission statement like written in, in the ground, but the company was created mm -hmm. to solve a problem. So you, I think you need to stand, and that problem is going to pivot along the way because it's going to react to the market, et cetera you still need to be able to stand behind what the problem they're trying to solve at the end of the day. Cause 
I'll, I mean, that's what I I'll mean. I'll actually say no to that because I'll, I'll say that, you know, I don't care what necessarily they're trying to solve. I think that it can be valuable to people, right? Like I don't have to have an emotional attachment to it to, to believe in it. Like if typically people talk about climate change are very passionate about climate change. So they're, they're like gung ho about like trying to fix the climate. And I think that if you're talking about like a mission or vision like that versus for example, I'm working at, I'm, I'm conscious for a startup that honestly, uh, it's a pretty boring industry. I don't think anyone is going to be like, yeah, fuck yeah. I can't wait for content management software. Like no one is going to be, I'm behind the vision and mission of that. But what they are behind and what they are going to get excited about is, okay, cool. There's an opportunity in a space that's dead or that's boring that people don't pay attention to that you know this is just my experience with some some more boring startups and this could disrupt things right this could be the thing and you can have the opportunity to leave your mark on it you can have your opportunity to to learn and grow and and become more knowledgeable about the thing but you don't have to be in love with the the mission necessarily like again the startup start, many startups that i've contracted for they're pretty effing boring and i'm not gonna lie i would you know not enjoy working for a company that is so boring, but the people I think make up for it a hundred times over. And even if you believe in the company, like, you know, we worked at companies that we believed in and some of the people were not great people. And a hundred percent. No, I, I would not, I would not want to, to be with those people again, to be honest, I don't want to be with those people because I think they're dragging me down. They're, they're, they're slowing us down. They're wasting my time. And, you know, I think that there's people who I really want to work with and learn from. And those people are focused a lot of the time on boring things that have really boring mission statements and visions, but they're so impactful in that space that it's almost tantalizing to, to think about like saying just yes automatically because you have more opportunity and you don't have to be part of this hot, trendy thing, even though sometimes you can align some. Again, people in Web3, it is trendy, but people do believe in it. And those two things can be both true, right? And there's things that are really boring and people are not attracted to. But there's I think still you, a lot of I think you've agreed to what I said. Is It's not about being in love with it or being passionate about it, but you stand behind what they're trying to solve. So you understand it's a boring, it doesn't matter but it's boring or not you know there's a mission there and then you know that there's a problem to be solved. And But you're standing behind that, regardless if it's boring or not. You understand yeah, there's something yeah. to go and be solved there. So we'll finish on that because I won. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I have, to move on to, to other questions, but I think it, it was interesting to like the, the uh, opinions on this. But what's your biggest, like what's your biggest learning moment going to this mm. or going back to this space, I should say? Like what's your biggest yeah. learning thing? And how are you tackling that? Patience. Patience. And what's so? I'm I'm impatient in every part of my life. I think that's been an advantage for me because it's pushed me to do more. It pushed me to say things that maybe are uncomfortable because I don't like it when things are not unsaid or things that yep. are unsaid. I don't like that. I think that it has helped my in my career a lot, but I think you need to know when to slow down and speed up. And I'm learning that I have to learn how to slow down, right? Of course, joining a startup, 
very few opportunities that have a high return will give you a high salary. And so that's one thing that's obviously a, a bummer at joining startups because you don't get money immediately, but that's because you're investing in it to make more money later on, right? Mm -hmm. Some companies can exit for a hundred times what they're worth and then boom, you're a, a millionaire. And some companies you'll get a little bit more and hopefully every startup does succeed one day. I hope so. But the reality is 90% of startups don't succeed. They all fail. So you have to make that bet. But the thing that I've learned about being slow and fast is like, you know, part of me is looking at this product at some of the, you know, startups that I've worked for and I'm looking at their product. And I'm like, this is ugly as fuck. <laughs> I'll just say it. it's, it's so ugly. It's, it's like breaking all the rules of design, whatever, whatever, whatever but it's functional and it gets the job done. And some of me is like, oh, like I want to just design the design system and just get all the icons and buttons and, and, and design system patterns and components. I want them all to be correct. I want them all to be consistent. I want them all to work together in a harmony, but I can't focus on that. I can't do that. That's not the goal. That's a task. Mm -hmm. I need to be focusing on things that are going to find market fit, things that are going to be resonating with the users that can bring them value. Two separate things that are happening in my head. My brain is telling me go fast on this one thing. My other brain is telling me stop and go slow on that thing. Slow down. Don't pay attention to it. Focus on something else. Then come back to that another time. So to me, when I look at the work, it's very obvious that there's things that are broken, but what things are broken that are the most important to fix? what things are missing that I need to add. And so working alongside those that are more knowledgeable about users than I am, the companies. You know, when we have like, I think that priority grid comes into play very much because if you think of like the founders, they're chasing money. Like they're chasing customers, they're chasing money. So you got to make sure that you provide them what they need to be able to get that next round of funding or that next customer. It, it's not about, getting the perfect icon at the beginning, it's more about designing for that need. So your customer, like your mindset has to shift a bit from what I'm understanding. Yeah, you have to shift on what you're focusing on and you have to be able to let go of things that you're normally responsible for at mm -hmm. other companies. Like, you know, other companies we were in charge of defining the patterns and, and arguing with people all day just to figure out what variant of what pattern is going to be the thing that goes into public. And it's annoying. Because now I've, I've trained my mind one mindset and then I have to retrain it in another mindset. And you have to be, just be good at balancing because there's different levels in which you have to consider things. Like at the startup level, ground zero, there is no one there but you and the founders. You have to focus on very different things than when you're a 100,000 person startup or company. It's not even a startup anymore. That's a company. There's no startups that are 100,000 people. That's a company. So if you're at 100,000 people or more, right, you have different considerations. Like there's different hierarchies that come into play because you have to help manage people and communicate things. You have to divvy up tasks. There's there's secrets that have to be hidden because you don't want things to be leaked. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, proprietary information. There's, you know, all this like security stuff you have to go through as well as training. So there's like different things you have to focus on at different levels of different sizes because scale, it's hard to communicate things larger scale than smaller but you also have more responsibility when you're at larger scale there's like different things at play so one thing is to balance the responsibility of what you're working on and realizing like okay this is this is like nothing like i can throw this out tomorrow 
and we can have a completely new product the next day, right? It, it, it's you have to switch your mindset there. Mm -hmm. And then I think also there's a, another thing to learn is you have to you have to yeah of course you have to wear a lot of hats, but you have to rely so well on your coworkers to make things succeed. Sometimes you and I like to just tackle everything. Like we can do anything we want, but like the reality is reality hits hard. And it's like, wait, you can't do anything until somebody else helps you do that. Because at a startup, you're like my role in some startups is like being a designer, visual, uh, UX, UI, but that's in terms of Figma artifacts and, and, and some prototypes. So I think it goes it's hard to... for me to build the thing. Yeah. And it's like, you can do everything, but you can't do, no, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Like, I think that's, you, you got to pick the right things at that point. Mm -hmm. And which takes me to yep. like a, another question. Uh, we're getting close to our top of the hour. What's the biggest takeaway or lesson you could share with others who are either afraid of going into a startup or what, you know, what's your biggest takeaway? Cause I, I know you've done many different size companies your startup now mm -hmm. what's your lesson or what's the biggest piece of advice you can share with us i went to one of the largest middle schools in the country largest high schools in the country largest universities in the country and also the largest one of the largest companies in the country okay i know scale I know what it's like to be a number. What I love about being at a startup is you're not just a number. If you choose to join a startup, you get to have impact. You get to have the ability to make change, to follow whatever dream you want to help a mission on with. You have the ability to potentially make a lot of money as a return. You have a lot of opportunity to grow. Take the chance if you can. If you're, you know, you have kids and, and you have to take care of your, your parents if you know there's a lot of other responsibilities in your life you know those things must be considered and you should be very wise about and very careful about what can you give to a startup because it's going to take over your life it is it's going to be something you think about all the time it's going to be something you think about all, every morning every night when you wake up when you go to sleep you're going to be working a lot of late nights it's a lot of work that's because there's the reward is supposed to be so significant it can unlock financial freedom for a lot of people if you join a startup it can give you a lot of opportunity to grow and get opportunities later on after you exit the startup or leave the startup. There's so much to learn, grow, and live through at a startup. If you don't have the opportunity to now, you should seek one out. Mm -hmm. I think everyone should work at a startup at some point in their life because it teaches you a lot about yourself. And it's taught me a lot about myself and what my priorities in life are. And I'm excited to kind of continue going into the startup world. And I, and I you know, want to work for a startup that does exit for a lot of money because mm -hmm. I want to be able to say I can do that. Like I want to have that skill and then be able to reproduce that and, and whatever. I think that there are so many people who are afraid of joining it because they're afraid of the economy uh, collapsing and then not having a job and understandable. But just hear me out. If you can try to join a startup and if it fails, it fails. Move on. You'll get another job. You'll find money elsewhere. If you just give up a couple of years of your life <laughs> to a startup and it succeeds, you've made it. And if it doesn't, you probably just made salary. So you didn't lose anything, but you gained a lot of experience and you made a lot of friends along the way. And you made a lot of connections. You made a lot of relationships. You made it. 
a, a lot of progress in your work. You probably have a portfolio to show. There's a lot of stuff you can gain from a startup, even if it's not money. Mm-hmm. And I advise every single person who's listening as a designer, go for it. Like, totally do it. And if you need help, Pascal and I will try to help you. We know a lot of people running startups. We know a lot of people that are hiring for startups. Yeah. We can definitely help recommend you. So please reach out to us if you need that. But if you can, take the opportunity. It is so worth it. Even if it fails, it's still worth it. Agreed. I'll agree with everything you just said there. And I'll throw <laughs> back the question that we ask everybody. How has that company shaped you thus far? Well, there's a couple companies in particular, and there's one that I might be joining full-time. We'll see. I'm not going to make any promises on the pod. We'll see. How has it shaped me? It's made me realize that, again, I keep going back to this in my life. You know, there's a funny hat, like meme that's like, you know, this like type type will change the world. Just kidding. Something like that, yep. which we should totally make that into a real hat because I definitely want to wear that. But, you know, design isn't everything. There's more to it than just pixels, logos, UI. There's real people behind the products that are being made and the people that are using it. And it's made me realize that I'm so fortunate in my situation. I've never been in a situation where I had zero money coming in and I had to pay rent. I'm very fortunate that I'm surrounded by people that love me, that give me opportunity to take risks on me. And design has helped shape me into a person that I think is more humbled, especially over time. Uh, I think that we're both becoming more humbled every day, trying to learn something new and trying to build something together. I think that it's made me more patient, more understanding. And it's definitely helped me see the world, I think, in a more realistic but optimistic light. And I'm excited to see where design continues to take me because I know it can help shape the world. That's why we made the podcast because design does help shape the world. Whether it's a screen, an artifact that you can hold, or an idea that's been written out. Design exists in multiple dimensions across every discipline. And I don't care what anyone says about the role of a designer. Because anyone can be a designer, and, and most people, I would say, actually do design every day. And we're just people that are called designers because what do you call someone who draws on the screen? I don't know. But I do think that design can help shape the world. It is not the only thing that shapes the world, though. But it can help shape the world. And you and I are going to help shape the world through this podcast and many of our initiatives. So there you go. Thanks, Mitch. That was very emotional. I can see the tears coming from your eyes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm about to cry now. No, it, it, I, I think it was a nice reframe, and I can totally relate to how you framed it. I think it is important, and I think it's, it's a nice way to explain why shaping design is important, and you've explained it perfectly well for yourself. Thanks for walking us through your startup journey, your struggles, the wins, and, and the big why behind it. And, you know, final words is I agree. I think everyone should try startup at one point in their career. It'll totally shape you as a designer and you're, you're going to see the world in a much different way. Yeah. We need to do more disagreements in this podcast. I think people want to hear that. I know. No, you can't agree. Say, no, I don't want that. You're supposed to disagree with me. No, I do want to disagree with you. So, yeah, yeah. God damn it. Pascal. <laughs> I know. It's just my Canadian way. I'm always so polite. All right, man. Catch you later. Cheers. <laughs>